excellent Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Hello once again. This is message number six on understanding spiritual gifts. And as we begin this session, I would like for us to think about spiritual gifts in connection with us being soldiers in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this time that we're spending in it. And we pray that you would bless our time together as we learn the word of God, as we consider spiritual gifts and the uh, various ways you have gifted each one of us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just guide us, Father. Lead us into all truth as we study the word and listen to you speak today. And we will give you the praise and the glory, Father, as you do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, as we begin, I want us to think about spiritual gifts uh, in the sense that we are soldiers in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. In reality, that is what we are. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.3, and he said, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And you know that military metaphor, of course, is seen in Ephesians 6.10 and following where Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. And of course, that's Ephesians 6, 10 to 13. Paul then goes on in the following verses to delineate what that armor of God is and what it is for. And again, my point is that we are soldiers in Christ's army. We are involved uh, in a war spiritual warfare. Paul even wrote to the Corinthians about our weapons of warfare. In fact, I would remind you and ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And let's look at verses 1 through 6. There Paul writes, Now I, Paul, myself urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent, I ask that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war, and there's that military idea, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And another version might say we are tearing down fortresses. 
every lofty thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. When you consider a modern army today, we know that it has many different soldiers, obviously, who all have various skills and aptitudes. That is one of the first things uh, that you do when you go into the military. Uh, you take a number of aptitude tests. Why? <clears throat> Excuse me. Because they want to know what your skills and abilities are or what your potential skills and abilities are. Once they know that, then they can plug you in uh, to where you can do the most good as a soldier. So yes, soldiers possess diverse talents and abilities, just as all people do. But it is also true that an army is fitted with a strategic mix of various weapons to maximize its effectiveness in fulfilling its purpose. And according to their abilities, some soldiers receive a rifle uh, and a pistol or a machine gun. Maybe certain ones use a bazooka or some other ground-based weapon because they're in the infantry. And others may operate a tank armed with a cannon and machine guns. Others may operate computers or launch missiles, fly helicopters, or sit in front of a, in these days, sit in front of a joystick and computer monitor and remotely control drone aircraft that attack specific targets. And of course, overall, there are many different skills and weapons used, including those in the Army, Air Force, Marine Corps, Navy, etc. The point is this, that to win the war, it takes the unified and effective use of all these weapons operated by the shared efforts of all the variously gifted and equipped soldiers. Our Lord Jesus Christ, as the wise commander-in-chief leading us in our spiritual warfare, he has likewise given to each of us, his soldiers in the body of Christ, spiritual gifts and weapons and warfare. Why? So that we too can work together to be effective soldiers in fulfilling his will. And in this spiritual war, we as Christian soldiers must work together and effectively use the diverse gifts he has given us. And when we do, we can be victorious and accomplish the Lord's will for our lives and for his church. But as I've said before, all of that requires that we truly be spiritual people. That is, we must do so continually being filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And since he is our source of divine energy, we must be empowered by him. Thus, our next principle of this long list of 25 that we are looking at, the next principle having to do with spiritual gifts is their spirituality. That's number 16, if you're following along on the study notes. Number 16, their spirituality. And it says there, though grace gifts are spiritual in nature, having been given by the Holy Spirit, they do not guarantee the spirituality of the recipient. 
We know, of course, that the Corinthian assembly was the most sinful, most fleshly, most immature, most problem-laden group of Christians in all of the New Testament. But ironically, they were also the richest when it came to spiritual gifts. Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, Paul wrote this. He says, Everything In everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul said to them, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, As to babes in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? You see, you can be incredibly rich in terms of spiritual gifts, but not necessarily be spiritual. In reality, you can have a local assembly full of people who are loaded with many and varied spiritual gifts. But if those very gifted believers are not spirit-empowered and spirit-filled, well, as my grandmother used to say, it doesn't amount to a hill of beans. Or as my grandfather used to say, it doesn't mean squat. For you see, a spiritual Christian is simply one who is yielded to, at any given moment, yielded to and walking in step with the Holy Spirit. His or her life is constantly under the Spirit's power, guidance, and control. Such is a good soldier who is powerful, a powerful weapon in the hands of Almighty God. Now, how do we know if we are truly spiritual soldiers or not? Well, we could do an entire series on what true spirituality is, but let's just look at one simple thought here. The way you identify true spirituality is by looking at the fruit of a person's life. It's really fairly simple. It doesn't even require that one be judgmental. I simply look at the tree and examine the fruit. The obvious fruit tells me whether the tree is spiritual or unspiritual at any given time. And this, of course, is seen uh, in the book of Galatians. And I'd like to look at Galatians chapter 5, 13 through 26. Galatians 5, 13 through 26. It says this. For you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. 
For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh, notice these, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, those are characteristics of an unregenerate person. But the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, love is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we walk Excuse me, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. As you consider the deeds of the flesh compared to the fruit of the Spirit, you can know whether you or any other believer is spiritual or not. And the reason true spirituality is so important uh, when it comes to spiritual gifts is because of principle number 17, the next one. And it has to do with their power and energy, the power and energy of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts must be, can be, and should be energized by the power of God's Holy Spirit. You say, Hey, Mike, aren't you being kind of redundant here? I mean, you just talked about the Spirit's power in the last point. Well, rather than calling it redundancy, I'm going to call it uh, reinforcement or driving the nail all the way in. Remember, these are spiritual gifts. They're not only given by the Holy Spirit, but they must be energized in and through the Holy Spirit if they are going to accomplish what God desires. The potential problem is that so many of the spiritual gifts that we find uh, listed in the New Testament can be faked as to have the appearance of being empowered by the Spirit. For example, a person with the gift of gab can choose not to study adequately and prepare for a message, or they could be even living in sin. They could then get up and give a talk about the Bible and quote some verses and appear to be exercising uh, their spiritual gifts, say a gift of teaching. Uh, But the same can happen with any believer and any of the gifts. One can appear to be exercising his or her gift while all the same, uh, while at the same time, Really, it's being done in his or own own human strength. His or, let me say it this way, his or her own human strength. This was vividly uh, illustrated to me 
by a man that I once heard speak at a conference out in California. Nona and I once attended a Christian education conference uh, at one of the most popular Christian camps and conference centers on the West Coast. It was called Hume Lake Christian Conference Center, I think. It was high up in the beautiful uh, Sierra Nevada mountain range. And the keynote speaker was a very popular author uh, at the time, and he had a best-selling book, and the book was all about how to grow a large church. And this, his basic premise uh, was that you give the consumer who is looking for a good church exactly what he or she wants. If the seeker and the consumer uh, wants a great youth program uh, for their teenage kids, then you hire the best youth director you can find. If the seeker and the consumer wants expert nursery care for their children or high-quality home Bible studies or top-notch sports ministry, then you hire the best people you can find to provide those particular things for the seeking consumer. And the, the thing is this, all seemed to be working for the this local church, which uh, this man was the pastor. Uh, he, he was the pastor of this church, the speaker. It had grown from uh, about 100 to about 3,000 people in about 10 years. And as I listened to this man preach at the conference, I must admit that he was an excellent speaker. He was dynamic. He was interesting. He was funny. However, the whole time I listened to him, I, I sensed in my spirit that something wasn't quite right. Uh, it just didn't seem right. In fact, part of that was because he was presenting his whole plan for growing a mega church. Uh, based on Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and following. You know that passage. Uh, I'll just share it with you real quick. Verses 5 through 11, where the Lord, where Paul says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, that's Philippians chapter 2. You know it well, I'm sure. That was this man's text for his message on how to grow a megachurch by providing what the consumer wants. Interesting eisegesis, don't you think? So it's true. I did not feel comfortable at all in my spirit about this man when I heard this message. Uh, I actually then met him briefly after the meeting, and that uncomfortable feeling was still there. Well, the, the three-day conference concluded. We all went home, and I sort of forgot about this guy for a while. But then about nine or ten months later, I attended a teaching conference out in Iowa, 
And at that conference, as I was talking to a group of church leaders, including Alexander Strzok at the time, uh, this pastor's name came up. And uh, I said, yes, I met him briefly when I attended a Christian ed conference out, out there a few months ago. And when one of the men in that group uh, heard me say that, they pulled me aside and they told me that it had come out that this pastor for eight of the 10 years that he was building this megachurch had been having an affair with a woman in his town. Eight or 10 years. Eight of the 10 years, excuse me. In fact, this was still going on when I had heard this man speak. And what happened was finally this woman could not take the guilt anymore and she spilled the beans and she made the affair known to other church leaders. So let me say it again. One can appear to be exercising his or her spiritual gifts while all the time it is really being done in his or own human strength, not in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to remember that Jesus said in John 6, 63, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. We also need to remember that our Lord Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from the power of God, the spirit of God, we can do nothing. Paul wrote to the Colossians and he said, in chapter 1, 28 and 29, and we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to what? To his power which mightily works within me. Well, this brings us to another issue. Uh, another principle or truth on our list. And that's number 18, their neglect. Their neglect. Spiritual gifts may be neglected and lie dormant in a believer's life. That can happen. Now, this may be true in your life. I hope it's not, but it could be. I'm convinced that it is true in the lives of many Christians, it was even true of Timothy, for a time at least. We know that because of uh, 1 Timothy 4.14, where Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Timothy was a relatively young man in ministry, probably mid-30s, uh, maybe early 40s, and as such, he had been severely criticized as well as persecuted to some degree. As a result, Timothy had become timid and afraid. And so Paul wrote to him and he said in 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, and for this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to kindle afresh or stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Evidently, Timothy had let it go dormant. He had slacked off 
And I know that because we know that because of what Paul said next. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but of power and love and discipline or a sound mind. Maybe you have been criticized by others, even other believers, when you have tried to serve uh, the Lord and exercise your gifts, or maybe you've been persecuted. But I would encourage you, please don't give up. Don't neglect those wonderful gifts and enablements that God has so graciously given to you. No, but stir up the gift within you. That is, get it on and, and get moving and serve the Lord and his body. For again, the rest of us in the body of Christ need you, as I've said before. Now, let's ask a question here. Just how many spiritual gifts are there? Some people say there are 18. Others say there are 21. Some say 25. How many are there? Well, let's talk about that. And let's talk about their number. Their number, point 19 on your list. The number of spiritual gifts is not limited to only those which the Bible lists and enumerates. Now, that may sound strange to you at first, but let me say it again. The number of spiritual gifts is not limited to only those which the Bible lists and enumerates. Now, before you tar and feather me for heresy, allow me to carefully explain what I mean. Here are the reasons that I say that with regard to the the gifts that the Bible lists and enumerates. First of all, the lists are not exhaustive in Scripture. But secondly, instead, in fact, the lists are representative. The lists are not exhaustive, but instead the lists are representative. That is, these lists of spiritual gifts that we find in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and 1 Peter 4, They speak of both individual gifts as well as areas of giftedness. Keep that distinction in mind. Individual gifts and areas of giftedness. We might call them categories of giftedness. That is, they represent types of giftedness rather than exact and specific gifts. Now, as we look at these different uh, areas of giftedness, Think of them as the different colors of paint on an artist's palette. Let's say that the master painter, the Lord Jesus, has 18 to 20 basic colors to choose from, just as an example. Now, he can use whatever colors he wants and in whatever combinations he desires as he paints his masterpiece. Well, this seems to be what the Lord has done with spiritual gifts. Therefore, Uh, we would say this also, and this is letter C on your outline, spiritual gifts come in an almost endless number of unique combinations. Spiritual gifts come in an almost as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Then verse 11 says, whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances or oracles of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
Now, if we go to the King James, verse 10 reads this way, as every man hath received the gift, notice that's singular, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Verse 11 then says, if any if any speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now this indicates a singular gift. It's clear. And it echoes what Paul said to Timothy when he told him to not neglect the spiritual gift, singular, within you, 1 Timothy 4.14, and 2 Timothy 1.6, where he says to kindle afresh the gift, again, singular, of God, the gift of God. And this seems to be saying that every believer receives one gift, the gift of God, which is totally unique to that believer. Ah, but notice this. That singular gift may contain elements from many of the areas or categories of giftedness. Remember the artist's color palette. And this idea of many areas of giftedness is indicated by Peter's use of the term in 1 Peter 4.10, where he says, the manifold grace of God. In other words, the manifold grace of God. The grace of the, the grace gifts that come from God are literally manifold, meaning diverse, varied in character, multifaceted. They are all so different. Think of it. God did not create the world in black, white, and gray, did he? No, he created it in living color with many colors, shades, and hues. In fact, the fall season uh, vividly proves that to us. Year after year, uh, as the, the leaves change color, God is a God of variety. And when God created people, he did not make them all look the same and sound the same. No, but God is a God of infinite variety. And the same is true with the manifold grace of God and the spiritual gifts he gives. So each one of you as believers possess a single spiritual gift, just as Peter described it, the gift, just as Paul described it, the gift. But your single gift might include elements from the categories of giftedness, the categories, say, of mercy, helps, and giving, as an example. Or your single gift may include giving gifting contributions, I would say it that way, gifting contributions from the areas of teaching, administration, ruling, and exhortation. This understanding of your single gift being a combination of different colors of giftedness, if you will, it's obvious in the lives of certain people in the New Testament. For example, the Apostle Paul's single gift certainly included teaching, prophecy, evangelism, discernment of spirits, administration, ruling, and probably a number of other categories of gifts or giftedness. The same could be said of Barnabas, Timothy, or Titus. What we must keep in mind is that God the Holy Spirit is the master artist 
and he chooses the colors according to his sovereign will. He chooses to mix the colors of giftedness and give us a single gift that is totally unique to us as an individual, as individuals. So says 1 Corinthians 12, 11, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. He does it sovereignly. And so the conclusion we come to then is that as a gifted Christian, one, you are a spiritual snowflake, and two, you are a unique masterpiece. What a beautiful thought. You are a spiritual snowflake, and you are a unique masterpiece. I mean, think of it this way. Take 20 teachers and preachers and put them in a room. Will they all be identical, or will they be different? Obviously, they're all different, even though they're all teachers, even though we would all say they all have the gift of teaching, but they are all different because God the Holy Spirit has gifted each person differently, uniquely. How beautiful a thought that is. Just as God did not create any two people exactly alike physically, neither did he create any two people exactly alike spiritually in terms of their gifts and giftedness. As the masterpiece and workmanship of God, each one of us is absolutely different, absolutely unique. Now, it's important that we talk a little bit about their differences. Point 20 on your outline, their differences. Spiritual gifts are different than natural talents. And we've kind of mentioned this before, but I think we need to reinforce this point a little bit. Spiritual gifts are different than natural talents. Natural talents are what you possess when you are born physically, while your spiritual gift is what you are given when you are born again spiritually. Natural talents, what you get when you're born physically. Spiritual gifts are what you get when you're born again spiritually. Your ability to make a great pizza or a great meatloaf is not a spiritual gift. But your ability to comfort the grieving or encourage the faint-hearted may be. May we also understand that spiritual gifts are different from the fruit of the Spirit, as we read about it in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is the same in every Christian who walks in and is filled with the Spirit. But spiritual gifts differ from believer to believer. The spiritual gifts are also different from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts are also different than the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs at salvation and is that act whereby the Holy Spirit places you into the spiritual body of Christ. On the other hand, spiritual gifts are abilities and capacities that the Holy Spirit gives to believers to enable them to serve and build up the body of Christ. Finally, spiritual, gift, uh, spiritual gifts differ, excuse me, spiritual gifts differ from certain gifted men, from certain gifted men. The men 
themselves are gifts to the churches as a whole. Ephesians 4.11 talks about that. Gifted men, such as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, uh, they are gifted men that Christ has given to his church to equip the church in the use of their gifts and in the serving of the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts, however, are the actual spirit-given abilities. Those things that have been given to all believers that they might use to build up the body of Christ. So there is a fine line there, a distinction between gifted men and the actual spiritual gifts that uh, we as individual believers are given. Uh, In fact, those gifted men possess their own unique gifts and giftedness, as do all believers. Well, this leads us to their duration. Some spiritual gifts were temporary, and some continue on throughout the church age. Uh, There were, first of all, the temporary sign gifts. And I personally believe that the gifts of healing, miracles, including signs and wonders, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues were temporary. That is limited to the time of the first century apostolic church. And the reason I believe that is because the scriptures indicate that those specific gifts had a very special purpose. They were signs. Now, signs have a purpose. They point you to something or somewhere, and they provide needed information. The sign gifts of the first century pointed to Christ as Lord and Savior, to his word, to his message, and to his messengers, especially the apostles. The information they provided was to confirm and verify Christ, his word, his messengers as being true. And that's so important to understand. I have listed on your notes a number of scripture references. I think it's page 12 and following, a number of scripture references that I think uh, make that clear. And I would ask you to look those up on your own sometime and, and really study those. But please notice just two of the scriptures. One is in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And I'll turn to that here. Hebrews chapter 2, and I want to read uh, verses 1 through 4. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4 says this, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also, and this is the important point here concerning confirmation, God also bearing witness with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles 
and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. God confirmed the message by those signs and those wonders. Uh, Another example of this confirming idea is seen in Acts chapter 14, Acts 14 and verse 3. Acts 14, 3 says this. And this had to do with uh, Paul and Barnabas at Iconium, and they had gone into the temple to uh, preach and and, uh, caused a great disturbance as they were in there. But in verse 3, it simply says this. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was bearing witness. There's the key thing. Bearing witness. The Lord was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. So the Lord would use signs and wonders to confirm that the message of the apostles was true. And that's very important to understand. Since the gospel of grace and of Christ was a new message, God sought to confirm it and testify, bear witness to its truthfulness by granting that signs and wonders be done by the hands of the brethren. Now, again, I would ask you to look up the other passages that I've listed in your notes. Um, Yet another reason why I believe that these signs, these sign gifts were temporary uh, is because the completion of the New Testament record made them no longer necessary. Revelation 22.18 tells us that. Uh, In many cases, new revelation from God was closely associated with certain sign gifts. Um, In fact, we even hear claims of this today. Uh, However, God's word and revelation is now complete with the completion of the book the last chapter of the book of Revelation. And according to Revelation 22, 18 and 19, we are warned not to add to or take away from God's revelation. Now, some might say, but don't we still need miracles and signs to confirm the truthfulness of the gospel? Well, I don't think so. Think about it. The miracle of salvation and a transformed life that is produced by the preaching of the living and powerful word of God, Hebrews 4.12, and all that accompanies that salvation, that's really verification enough. In fact, Romans 10.17 says it, doesn't it? Faith comes by hearing. Saving faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, by the revelation of God. Benjamin B. Warfield once wrote, quote, These miraculous gifts were part of the credentials of the apostles as the authoritative agents of God in founding the church. Their function thus confined them to distinctively the, the apostolic church, and they necessarily passed away with it. End of quote. In other words, The sign gifts were spirit-given abilities to confirm the veracity of God's word, and for the most part only occurred when God was revealing his word. I'm not going to go into detail on it now, but I would really 
I would briefly mention 1 Corinthians 13, which makes it clear that certain gifts would be done away, like prophecy, and others would cease all by themselves, like the gift of tongues. So there were the temporary gifts, but then we also have now ongoing edifying gifts or permanent gifts. While the temporary sign gifts were given only for a special period of time and for a very specific purpose, the verification and the confirmation of the message and messenger, there are other spiritual gifts that the Spirit of God has given to the church for the duration of the church's ministry while here on earth. These ongoing edifying gifts can be divided into two categories, serving gifts and speaking gifts, serving gifts and speaking gifts. And again, I would take us back to 1 Peter chapter uh, 4. Let's look at 1 Peter 4 once again. And specifically, I want to again read verses 7 through 13. Peter wrote this, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, singular, employ it in serving one another. So there's the serving gifts as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then notice how he puts this. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so by the strength of which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then he says in verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what we have here is this. If you really uh, look at this carefully in 1 Peter 4, 7 especially 7 through uh, 11 and 12 there, you've got two broad categories of gifts, serving gifts and speaking gifts. If you really examine an active servant of the Lord, you'll usually find that they are primarily gifted in one or the other of these two main categories. You'll, you'll notice with all believers, they either have a serving gift as their primary giftedness or a speaking gift. And again, every believer is unique since God the master artist gifts or colors everyone differently. Now, does that mean that one cannot and will not be gifted with both serving and speaking gifts? No, that is certainly 
possible according to God's will and plan. Some people, God just heaps a ton of gifts on them, you know, both serving and speaking. But generally speaking, um, when it comes to the dominant or primary gift of each believer, in most cases, there's either a serving gift or a speaking gift. The question is, which one do you have? Well, in our, our next session, Lord willing, our next message will give you some information that will help you find out if you don't already know, uh, help you to discover your spiritual gifts. And I think you can figure out, too, whether or not you fa fall into that broad category of serving gifts or speaking gifts. Uh, we'll take a look at that later, and I don't think you'll want to miss it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you've taught us. Thank you for these messages. Thank you for these scriptures. And we thank you so much for these gifts. We thank you for serving gifts. We thank you for speaking gifts. We thank you for the many varied gifts, the many different nuances of giftedness that you have created and that you have imparted by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we just pray that we would be good stewards of the manifold, the manifold grace of God. Thank you for these many gifts, many areas of giftedness. Help us to glorify your name by making good use of them and serving the members of the body of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.